Back Mighty Vandals to Tubs of the Club, your University of Idaho affiliate on the Big Sky Podcast Network, brought to you by Snake River Stampede Canadian Whiskey. I'm your host, Brian Marceau. We're joined by the regular crew, Dallas on the down in Spokane, Martin in Moscow, but also special guest. For this is look, this is the first time we've had a celebrity. And no, I'm not talking about the Snake River in his glass. <laughs> the one and only Colby Acuff joining Tubs of the Club. Colby. Thanks for joining us, man. How's it going? Hey, thank you for having me on. Go Vandals. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and uh, look, we're going to jump right into Around the Bar brought to us by Hughes River Expedition, which is look, the story, the only story to pay attention to. Week one of the 2023 football season is over for Idaho, and it it was everything we hoped for. Idaho travels to Beaumont, Texas, absolutely beats the shit out of Lamar 42 17 a game that very easily could have been 77 to zero uh, if Idaho decided that was the route they wanted to go so very quickly Idaho led 35 to zero in the third quarter that that's how this game was we, we don't even need to go over the narrative of scores because there w- there is no real arc to, fo- to follow in this game Idaho dominated from start to finish and that was that. Dallas, you were watching, of course, just like we all were. First thing we got to go have is our discussion, which will be the meat of our discussion. What went well for Idaho, Martin? For me, it just was – it was about everything that I wanted to see out of this game. The score was – I predicted 45-17. It was 42-17, so about as close to – Good game is I could have expected the passing the offensive pass protection looked amazing for Idaho, so I it was it it like I said like without rambling it was it went about as well as I expected just with what I wanted to see. About you, Colby. Uh, yeah, no, I mean especially in the first half, you know, I mean like we were talking about, I think uh, especially like the very quick score. I mean, what more could you want? The rushing attempts were great. Everyone was uh, hitting their numbers. Uh, I feel like there was, you know, I, I don't know. I felt like there was some out routes that could have gone a little bit better, but I think for the most part, everything across the middle looked really good and everything that was long was really good. Yeah. And what, look what Colby's talking about pass wise, look, Idaho threw Idaho throws 21 total passes. And as a reference point, Idaho rushed 36 times, but Giovanni McCoy goes 14 and 19, two touchdowns and one pick. The pick was essentially meaningless relative to score the, right. the score in time of game. Hayden Hatton got in on the action. Uh, he threw a touchdown, one one for 45 yards. And Jack Lane also one one for 15 yards and a touchdown. So uh, last on Monday, Dallas said if for this to be a win for Idaho, Jack Lane needs to see the field. He did see the field. So Dallas, what else went well? I mean, honestly, guys, it was to me, it was the fourth play of the game. McCoy with a 29-year pass to Hatton. That was about the moment that it, it was just obvious that this game was going to be a blowout and there was nothing Lamar could do. This is exactly what I wanted to see out of this team in year two. You're talking about a top 10 FCS squad. You go on the road to, yes, a, a lower team in a lower conference, but you embarrassed them like they were a D2 school. It They didn't look like they played the same sport as Idaho. And to me, that was the biggest thing. Idaho, in virtually every facet, was far and away more talented, better coach, just overall better than than Lamar was. And that's very promising to see. That's what you want to see in these bye games. Yeah, a couple stats to look at. Look, we already talked about Giovanni McCoy. 
but in the receiving room, Hayden Hatton, six catches for 86 yards and two touchdowns. Nick Romano, one reception for 45 yards, but he picked up the touchdown from Hayden Hatton. And then tight end Jake Cox. We look tight end was a position we knew was going to emerge. He has one catch, 15 yards. He gets he gets a score as well. So congratulations. I think that's Jake Cox's first career touchdown, Dallas. Tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, but then on the ground. Anthony Woods leads Idaho with 138 rushing yards on 13 attempts. Now that number, that average a little bit inflated by a 93 yard touchdown rush, but Woods got two touchdowns on the game. The rest of Idaho's rushing attack to get to that, those 36 total rushes was pretty evenly spread uh, amongst Nick Romano, Carlos Matheny, George Robinson. I'm not really going to count Jack Lane and Giovanni McCoy rushes, but Hey, they rush too, but Idaho, Average 7.6 yards on the ground against Lamar. So uh, realistically, Idaho could do whatever they wanted offensively. We're going to get, we're going to have to nitpick pretty hard uh, to talk about things that did not go well, but all of us hit some stuff um, offensively that looked pretty good. Martin, defensively, what went well? Just how much, I just like they're, Going after it, just they, I think I don't say this. They just seem to be playing a little bit faster, getting off the ball. Larman was making plays, getting off the ball, and disrupting the just being a disruption on that defensive line, and just their overall defensive line just getting like off the ball and making like deflect deflecting some like I think the first third down of the game they deflected a pass and for a thirty three and out. It just was. I thought the D line played well. Colby, defensively, what stood out for you? I'd agree with that. I mean, I think the D-line played really well, but I also saw like some, uh, for me at least, I was seeing a lot of tenacity from like the linebackers. I feel like they're, you know, when they do actually come out with the blitz, it's it's pretty intense now. They're getting inside. They're, they're applying the pressure they need. And, you know, and they're turning the ball over. I mean, they're getting the ball, or they're at least putting fourth downs, you know. They're getting a lot of punts. I think that's a huge thing for U of I, especially coming up, you know. Dallas, are your takes similar? Yeah, similar. The I was very impressed with the, the young linebackers. Uh, Tom Kendall mentioning that in the comments as well. Very impressed with the young backers. Uh, Bertram, Lane, Thomas all looked like they belong again. It was pretty obvious from the from the get-go that Lamar was just not a team that was going to compete with Idaho. But, I mean, the guys have to still make the plays, and they absolutely made the plays. Secondary looked pretty good, too. I thought the McCormicks were both flying around. Marcus Harris had a really nice interception. I don't think the quarterback even knew he was on that side of the field. Uh, somehow cast an invisibility spell. It was insane. Um, I know the defense, honestly, Brian, I think the defense played better than the offense today. Yeah, and I, I want to highlight Marcus Harris, who, uh, look, Savon Rio was one of the better offensive players for Lamar, uh, preseason second team, all Southland, and uh, zero catches for the dude. Harris with a, also with an interception. So we all know, look, Marcus Harris was all first team, all preseason big sky for a reason and the guy looked exactly look he looked the part of first team all big sky now with the asterisk of course lamar is nowhere near in the class of what idaho is you know in, in this game I, we described it earlier this week as this is a buy game for idaho essentially and that strata you'd expect of what a buy game is that's exactly how this played out uh, with Honestly, man, this made me think of a D2 game, except it counts for the FCS playoffs. That's how much better Idaho looked than Lamar. But, okay, we, we got to pick a, pick at nits a little bit. Martin, what what didn't go well or what was maybe a little underwhelming today? 
I'll be honest, the run game was for me. It just like there was a bunch of like three and like two and three and a couple four yard plays, but it just never seemed to hit. Yeah, the stats will look a little inflated with that ninety three yard run that Anthony Wood ha- Anthony Woods had. My biggest nitpick, and just like the other one, the other thing that I just didn't even realize at the stats, the time of possession was very. It was like essentially split fifty fifty as well, and I thought Idaho would have had a little more bit of control in the game. Colby. Yeah, I, I agree with the running or the rushing game as well. You know, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, they had some great runs. They look good. I mean, they're getting in the end zone. They're punching in, which is great. Um, There's some other stuff, I think, at least offensively for me, um, got to get those out routes. I, I feel like everything over the middle is good. Everything on a fly is good. Some of the out routes, though, there's a little bit um, not leading enough or, you know, throwing to an out route that's not open, you know, off the hip. And against Lamar, you can get away with it. But I think, you know, going into, you know, playing Montana, playing Montana State, start getting deeper into the schedule. I feel like that's, you know, that's something you got to get clean. And it does. Colby said it correct to me, the the correct way to understand like, hey, what did not go well? Because obviously you win 42 to 17. Like we're not literally complaining about anything from that game. But the, the, but the comparison point is, okay, yeah, this works against Lamar. What about Sac State? What about Montana State? With that as your reference point, Dallas, what did not go as well? Yeah, I, I got to be honest, guys. I'm a little concerned about the offensive line after week one. Uh, again, it's it's week one. Those are going to be the guys that are most affected by the heat. Um, that's not a fat joke. That's just they're the biggest dudes out there. They're going to be the ones most affected by the heat and the humidity. Offensive line was not particularly outstanding today. Uh, if you take away Woods' 93 yarder he went 12 for 45 uh pretty pedestrian numbers against again a team that you you were up 35 to zero uh and i don't carry the ball more than they threw it but most of the offense came from throwing the ball that wasn't particularly great uh if you were listening the commentary crew was atrocious i don't think they pronounced a single player's name wrong right and ricardo chavez played seven positions last, last brian last when you night, watch but... the game watch the game watch it on mute it it was rough um the other thing, guys, the penalties. The penalties looked like a Paul Petrino team. It was really terrible. Idaho, eight penalties for 101 yards. Yeah, a couple of those were ticky-tack, but a lot of things to clean up. A lot of things that Eck and, and the coaching staff will be able to look at and say, hey, yes, we got the win. You can't be upset about that, but there's a lot of things that we can clean up moving forward. And and that's if you're going to have a sloppy game, you want it to be against a team like this. Yes, in the comment section, we've got uh, Christy Mayer, who agrees with you. Got to clean up stupid penalties. Jack Schneider, uh, his points are open field tackles, penalties, and PAT blocking. Uh, Brian Crookham, uh, just referencing what Martin brought up, saying, hey, man, if you score quick, that is going to hurt time of possession. But then Tom Kendall uh, jumping in, agreeing with Dallas, saying run blocking is suspect. And look, I, I don't have anything to say other than to repeat some of the basic points of the on the one hand, in the, in the run game, if you if you look through the box score, I know like Dallas, you described Anthony Woods having 93 yards from one rush and averaging around three yards per carry. Otherwise, it's actually pretty consistent with virtually everyone. You know, Nick Romano goes five uh, five rushes for 41 yards, but he had a, one of them was a 24 yard rush. Uh, Giovanni McCoy, I know quarterback rushing is a little bit different, but he rushed five times for 49 yards. One of them was a 27 yard rush. The point being, and this is what I'm saying, like, hey, it's kind of a glass half full, glass half empty thing is you're right. Like other than those big rushes, the rushing totals are not great. But on the, at the same token, 
there were a good number of pretty big rushes and that can partially explain why the time of possession didn't look the way it did. But uh, b- big picture, if you're just looking at the box score, I think the biggest concern I have just using this game to extrapolate for, Hey, when Idaho hosts Montana and Montana state is I just think the offensive line, there's still some work to do. Uh, Idaho doesn't need to have the best offensive line in the big sky, but you're not going to win the big sky without a dominating offensive line in some sort of way at this point. To me, that's honestly the big thing that some of the top of the conference has that Idaho's chasing. So look, we've hit what went well. We've hit what did not go well. Martin, what are your overall takeaways from Idaho's week one murdering of Lamar? I mean, outside of like the suspect line play and the, the the stupid penalties i'd say it went about as well as i could have expected there i it yeah there's gonna be some mistakes week one and i hope they'll fix them for when it comes time to big sky play but overall it was it was about what i expected colby extrapolating out from this game any takeaways yeah no i mean i i'm hopeful obviously i mean i think coach x doing a great job in there i think uh you know the team looks strong i think you know the only thing about this week one game is it's it went as expected. And so how does that play out for, you know, what are we really looking at big picture right now? We don't really know because the game went as expected. And, you know, we're also sitting here talking about some of the other things that we didn't love as much, but I think as long as they fix some of those certain things, like the O-line, I think if they can figure out, um, you know, the rushing game, some of these out routes and figure out some of these other things. And I, I agree with the the point um, that Dallas made about the defense. I mean, I really do think the defense played really, really well tonight. If they can keep that up and they can, you know, be nails, I'm I'm very excited for this season. I think it's gonna be great. Yeah, I think uh, I think honestly, there, there's not a, obviously a ton you can learn about a game like this because again, you you go in expecting to win this game, but what we saw is Giovanni McCoy looked very good. Yeah, there's a couple throws he's gonna want back. 14 and 19, very good completion percentage, but the interception probably one that you want to you know take the sack on scramble get a couple yards kneel just kind of forced a bad throw as again he was under pressure the like the line didn't do him any favors on that play Hayden Hatton looked like again one of the best players that will ever put on a Vandal uniform the defense was flying around the field I think again against Lamar it's tougher to tell but I think the better the defense might be better than last year I think the linebacking core might be better than last year which is insane to say after Favai Favai and Paul Malala both just left after being all conference guys there's a lot of good things to still take away from this. The the things that we expected about this team are still there. And I think at the end of the day, what we saw is the number eight team in the country went in and absolutely beat the pants off of a team they were supposed to beat. And realistically, this is still a team that's going to have a, a shot in every single game they play, no matter who the opponent is. So when Montana State comes in in a couple months, I don't, I don't have a whole lot. I mean, there's fear. Obviously, they're one of the best teams in the country, but Idaho is Idaho is definitely good enough to have a real shot at winning that game. Hundred percent. So my my broad takeaways of uh, no disagreement with the points about there's only so much you can, you can take away from the Lamar game. But um, hey, first question for Idaho is how do they look coming with expectations, which was not the case last season, and look minus the penalties. Idaho, they, they don't look like they missed a beat at all from the team in out of conference last season where Idaho Idaho did pretty damn well, came out with great intensity, whether it was Washington State or Drake. Well, hey, 
Idaho started this year. Looks like expectations don't really matter in terms of the character of this team showing up and playing. And Idaho's up 35 to zero. And then obviously Jason Eck uh, pumped the brakes in terms of the rushing, in terms of rushing autonomy. Jack Lane threw one total pass. So that's my first takeaway is, hey, was there going to be any rust? And it's it's pretty minimal. Uh, Obviously, the X playing with expectations this year and having a target on your back instead of, you know, hunting someone else's target looks like it's not a big deal for Idaho. And I guess that the defensive thing you brought up Dallas is like that, that was, that's really one of the big concerns we'd had is linebacking completely new linebacking crew losing lost two all big sky level guys, a ton of freshmen who are going to play. And it, if you're saying you, you felt good about the energy, you felt good about the production um, that's a win for me. And actually, Hey, I do want to ask you specifically Dallas. So three freshman linebackers, we know Dylan lane started uh, Jackson Eck backup, extra Alexander backup narrowly. How did the freshman look? Man, I, I gotta say Jackson Eck is going to be a dude. It's the anti-glove situation here. I would not be shocked if that kid is starting by the end of the year. He is, he is the real deal. I am honestly surprised he's playing in the FCS. I know that dad's an FCS coach. He's obviously playing here with dad, had other top FCS offers. The energy that he was flying around with, especially being a coach's kid, he's going to be in the right position. He's going to be getting other guys in the right position. Really, really, really excited to see what he's going to do in his career here. So we have to get to our MVP picks for the game, but before we get to the MVP picks, Dallas, we have a certain river MVP that we, we need to hear more about. My, my tab just crashed. Give me one second. I'm so sorry, Colin. You'd think I'd have this memorized by now. Here we go. It's back. If you are looking for a great all-inclusive week-long vacation, don't look past your backyard. Hughes River Expeditions has been vandalone and operated since 1976, and they're ready to take you on the vacation of a lifetime. Enjoy a multi-day trip down the middle fork of the salmon, the main salmon river of no return, the salmon river canyons, or the Selway. You can even check out special trips like one to see the Persed meteor shower, camp on pristine beaches, run amazing whitewater, hike scenic trails, spot wildlife, soak in the beautiful natural hot springs, and fish some of the most remote stretches of river in the entire country. Just bring your clothes and let HRE handle the rest. Grab a paddle, catch dinner, and ride the bull all throughout the Gem State. Call them now at 800-262-1882. Again, that's 800-262-1882. Or check them out at HughesRiver.com. So two things I have to hit on in the comments section. Uh, first off, we've got Jason Mayer with the take. Uh, Martin, I know you talked about this, but just the way Jason phrased it was uh, uh, the, maybe the highlight of the week for me. Jason Mayer. Ricardo Chavez was unavailable today, despite the announcers crediting him every crediting every kick to him. I was under the impression they they credited a little bit more to Chavez than oh, his kicks. Every kick, every punt, every kickoff, and it was yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, and uh, the other is hey, this is Tom Kendall, and this I think I think sums up a lot of Vandals tonight today, which is. Tom Kendall says, amazing. I'm nitpicking some errors. If this was a Paul Petrino coach game, I would be ecstatic. So my expectations have increased under Eck in a good way. And yeah, look, I feel like the tone of Vandal fans right now is excited, but reasonable. 
as like, look, we we know great news. We beat the shit out of a team. But like, that doesn't mean there aren't things to clean up. But hey, enough of that. MVP, offensive MVP, Martin. For me, I'm gonna I I'm gonna pick the obvious one and go Hayden Hatton. Two two receiving touchdowns, one passing touchdown. He played about as what you'd expect from a all conference preseason MVP. Colby, I'm gonna go with McCoy. You know, he's seven for seven. He throws – he has two incompletions in a row to go seven for nine, and he finishes the game very strong. And, I mean, I don't know. I mean, U of I has always needed a strong quarterback, and I feel like this is uh, – I feel like I'd give it to him tonight. I think both of those are great picks. Brian, I got to go with Hayden Hatton. Ed, the guy is just on another level. I truly think that Hayden Hatton is the best player in the FCS, and I don't think it's particularly close. The dude is going to have an incredible year once again. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Hayden Hatton, too. We already hit six receptions, 86 yards, two touchdowns. But the look, the thing I just want to point out is every single team in the nation is going to – this isn't last year where it did take a little bit of time for Hayden Hatton's role to clarify. No, everyone knows. It, Hayden Hatton's the top receiver on this team, and it doesn't matter. The guy's going to get open. He's got, he's going to catch essentially anything that's in his radius. And he threw a touchdown as well. So Hayden Hatton accounts for three total touchdowns. I don't really know how to beat that. Uh, but, you know, Colby, you did bring up McCoy essentially in midseason form already. And that's one of the changes for Idaho this year. Is we don't we don't have that gap of time where McCoy has to earn his trust. We, we He's... Right away, we know that McCoy is going to have chance to the chance to win games for Idaho. Defensive MVP Martin. I oh, um, I I it just I don't I can't think of one person. It just was to me like the, I'll give like the whole first team MVP just because of how they shut out. They played well the first half. Colby. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree. I mean, I'm just, I would, I would, I would say for me, I once again, we go back to linebackers. I mean, linebackers, whether, you know, uh, they're the young guy, I mean, they're mostly all young right now, but very impressed. I was very nervous about U of I's defense more than anything. I knew that, I mean, U of I is an offensive team, I feel like, especially under Eck, you know, and uh, very nervous about the defense, but I was so pleasantly surprised at the defense tonight. I mean, they played very well, especially the linebackers. So, Jumping into the comment section, Taylor Cash saying Marcus Harris, Jason Mayer saying Marcus Harris, Mark McEnany, uh, Mark, I'm so sorry if I messed your name up, uh, drop your pronunciation of that in the comments, I'm sorry, uh, saying the whole linebackers group. Honestly, guys, this is one that's tough to pick because I thought every group played particularly well. I'm going to go with the easy answer with Marcus Harris. Again, the top receiver for Lamar had 134-yard reception and then... 20 yards, 19 yards, 17 yards, like the whole secondary just completely shut down their receiving core. But Marcus Harris grabbing that interception, it was just, yep, this is over. This is absolutely over. Marcus Harris showed he was, again, one of the best players in the conference. Marcus Harris for me. Sometimes I want to make a pick of a different player just to make things interesting. But like, look, similarly, like you said, with Hayden Hatton. No, dude, again, Marcus Harris. It's going to be hard for Marcus Harris to put up some eye-popping stats, I believe, throughout the season because, for the most part, people are just not going to throw at him. But he still still picks off, still pick, gets the interception, still gets a pass breakup. I mean, it, I, I don't, I don't have anything else to add. Marcus Harris kicks ass. I'm ecstatic that he's a vandal. So with with that, guys, 
we've essentially hit the end of the football part of the episode in a second we're gonna have we're gonna essentially we're gonna just talk to colby but before we get to asking colby questions about himself colby in a second you are going to we have what's called the reversal any for any first time guest which is with minimal notice we at you have to ask us a question for us to answer you can think about your question while I get to the Snake River ad read, which I have to hit the comment section for the Snake River ad read, which is we had two things. One, we had Brian Crookham, who I love it, saying, I'm a patron and a Snake River Stampede director. Don't screw up the SRS ad read. And then <laughs> after that, we got Nick Weber saying, there's an SRS read. I thought it was just Brian professing his undying adoration for Snake River Stampede. <laughs> and you know what? Hey, Nick, you're right. Brian, it's really hard for me to screw up a Snake River ad read because I just talk about Snake River. It's a whiskey that I buy exclusively by the handle. Yes, the fifths are very well priced. It's a good whiskey, but why buy a fifth when you need the handle? So Snake River, look, we've talked before. It's got the double barrel. It's aged in two two separate types of barrels. Uh, First, it's aged in first fill bourbon barrels for four years, then an extra six months in Oloroso sherry casks. But another part that makes snake whiskey a little bit different in terms of a lot of what the Canadian whiskeys, especially you can can get in Idaho liquor stores is it's a three grain whiskey, 80% corn, 10% malted barley, 10% rye. You mix the double barrel finish with the extra flavoring grains. And what you have is just a kick-ass Canadian whiskey. So get yourself some snake over stampede for the first home game for sure. That's what I'm going to have for tailgating. But you can always buy some beforehand. You know you want it. Hey, Colby, you, you're uh, you've got a glass. Last I saw, there we go, man. Snake for Stampede, the official whiskey of Tubbs the Club, and as far as I'm concerned, unofficially University of Idaho. And now it is your Colby. The reversal. Your time to ask us questions. It can be any question, football related, Idaho athletics related, something else related. We could just talk about whiskey, you and me, for a while. No, I mean, I got it. So, do I ask every ask a a blanket question and everyone answers it individually? Kind of the um, the wheel. You truly have the wheel. (laughs) That's scary. (laughs) Well, we saw you drinking, so that's why we want to make sure you have the wheel. Fair enough. That yeah, no, that's fair. That's very uh, it's very poetic of you. I understand. I would say, I guess, all right, so what is your all-time favorite memory as a Vandal? I mean, I'm going to jump in first because mine is very easy. I was at the 2009 Humanitarian Bowl. I was about six rows up. I sat behind the entire Bowling Green coaching staff's family. I have a very loud voice. And I made life hell for those people for three hours. And that that two-point conversion, oh, one of the top five moments of my life. For for me, it's the it's a tough one, but I'm I'm gonna go with the 2016 potato bowl. I was in the band for that game. It was freezing, but we're still playing, we're still playing and making noise at that game, watching cheering on Idaho to beat Colorado State. It was a cold, very cold night but man was it a fun night there back down in boise in 2016 so before i give my answer speaking of poetry like nick weber making the case for mvp of the comment section can't drink all day unless you start in the morning. <laughs> oh, yeah. so okay i don't have a singular answer i'm going to just pick one like i have a different moment as an undergrad than i do as uh as a 
you know, like post-grad. And then since I've had, I have a family now, I have you know, a favorite Vandal moment as a family. So my most recent favorite one, I'm going to go with going to the University of Montana game last year. My two-year-old made it all the way through the entire game. She was, of course, not two at the time. But uh, going going into Washington Grizzly, uh, having like tempered expectations, but telling myself, look, it's, if if this game is just close, it's going to you got to call that a win. It's going to be fun. This is I was at that point we were still cautiously optimistic about what this could be, and then absolutely thrashing my voice, screaming game over after Roshan Johnson ran for that last touchdown. I was sitting in a grizzly section. Uh, that right there is my most recent favorite Vandal moment. Fair enough. Those well, now you got well, now you have to answer the question too. Beautiful. That's what I was hoping for. I got a lot. I mean, I really do. And it's, it's crazy because it's, it's evolved as it goes, you know, I mean, um, but I would say as of recently, one of my favorites is uh, I didn't make it to the Montana game, but I went to homecoming. And it kind of starts with um, me meeting Coach Eck. He came to our show last year uh, when we opened for Craig Morgan. Um, and I got to meet him, and he was great, and we became pals, whatever. And uh, he said, you know, you come out to any game, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll hook you up, blah, blah, whatever you guys want to do. And um, I watched uh, the homecoming game. He was nice enough to get me some sideline passes. He showed up to John's Alley in moscow at my show sold out john's alley and he walks up and gives me my passes while i'm on stage awesome dude the next day i go to the game sit sideline you know whatever do the whole thing it was great um and then but that's not my favorite memory that's just like the beginning of it because that's where i became friends with him later it's after the montana game i didn't get to go to it i was playing a show and i'm at home get home way late at night i get a text and it's Kochek, the photo of him, the, like the photo of him with the Brownstein underneath the Corner Club logo, that one. He sent that to me in a text. He said, we did it. And I said, yeah, hell yeah, coach. Good job. That's my favorite memory as a, I, you know, as an adult, as an alumni, as a vandal. So we, we got to hit the comment section before that. God, damn, it is so, it's so kick-ass that we get Jason Eck as our coach. Oh. Like, like not only is the guy... Now, look, now that Troy Taylor's gone, it's a very reasonable discussion of is Eck the best coach in the league? And he's been a coach for two years. Right. But not like not only do we get the competence, which I would be fine with just that. And then he goes home after the game and I have no no one has any idea he truly exists. But we we don't get that. We get a guy who kicks ass and engaging with people who is a just fun dude who makes it. Jason Eck himself is easy to root for. And then he's good as a coach. It to me the situation. To, I don't know how it gets better. Dallas, you follow fifteen thousand sports that I don't. Maybe, maybe you know a scenario that uh, is similar or better. Okay, right. So the comment section taking part in, in answering your question, Colby. We have uh, well, first we have Kevin Ridenauer saying, "Forget waiting for the first home game. I'm picking up some SRS tomorrow." Exactly, dude. Exactly. By the way. <laughs> d- d- I don't think I screwed up that ad read, but okay. Mark McEnany, Jill Thomas for two against Boise state. Uh, Tom Kendall watching John freeze sling the rock in the eighties is mine. Jason Mayer, Mao. To- I got, I'm guaranteeing going to bush this pronunciation. Mao Tosi planting the WSU QB. Do you have a, Dallas? Do you, do you have a correction on the pronunciation there? Uh, no, I could butcher it harder if you wanted. Okay. Uh, Jason 
FTW, that moment was that that moment was awesome. And then uh Brian Brian, good lord, the uh, comment section slipping on me. Brian Brian Crookham, his moment was Ender Lee to Preston Davis for two. That's the bowling green game. So right. uh yeah. Anyway, ton of vandal moments. So we're hey, we're gonna shift now. Uh since Colby's joining us, uh we want him, we want Colby to catch us up on uh, it's not a secret, Colby's career is, his music career has been taken off. So we're going to shift talking about football for a little bit and we're just going to talk with Colby. So to get everyone caught up, Colby, you are of course the uh, most famous university of Idaho country musician, at least as of today you are. (laughs) I don't know about that. Yeah. So, okay. Real quick to get to, to get uh, when you started as a musician, like you graduate from, from Coeur d'Alene high school in well, it's like 2012. Well, actually I went to Lake city. My bad. Lake city. Uh, forgive yeah. me. Forgive me for well, that people, accusation. No, people, everyone thinks I went to Coeur d'Alene high school. It's fair assumption, but yeah, definitely Lake city kid. Okay. Graduate from Lake city. You go to university of Idaho. Yeah. What, what was your declared major at U of I? Actually, I, uh, I graduated and I started and graduated with an economics degree. Didn't do music. Didn't. Yeah. I just, I, I'd done music my entire life and I got to college and I didn't tell anybody I played. I've been playing in bands, playing in bars in Coeur d'Alene since I was 12. And I got to U of I and I was like, I'm not going to tell anybody I play music. I'm going to go straight in the economics program and just, cause I wanted to see if there's anything else. It's like the only thing I knew how to do. And I, you know, laid sod and done landscaping and ran, I did construction and stuff like that. But that was like really all I knew how to do very well, you know? And so I just wanted to see if there's anything else out there. Okay. So you graduate, what year did you graduate? 2019 from U of I. Yes. 2019. Okay. And you graduated from Lake city 2015. Correct. Okay. So 2019, you graduate, you have, you know, pretty, pretty standard options for many economic student. Hey, should I go into a business related degree or should I become a country musician? Uh, you are already like, you already said like where your background was. So you graduate in 2019 for, you know, for anyone to become a musician, like as that's solely what they do, it, it takes some time. If you ever, if you ever get to that level, because there's a lot of very good musicians who they, they never do get to the point where they get to just be musicians what happens take us through the start of your career or hey the, anything relevant from from 2019 on to the start of your music career yeah it oh, really so starts that. before then actually so i didn't tell anybody i played until i needed some money so <laughs> i needed money like halfway through probably the tail end of my sophomore year i was i had a i'm a big fly fisherman love duck hunting and i don't love going to school that much which I don't condone to anybody, you know, go to school. It's very important. But I, you know, I take days off. I go fly fishing. I got to do this. I miss this and here and there and spend a little bit of money doing, you know, whatever. And so I need, I need to play a gig. That's, I mean, I really knew how to make money playing shows. And so I, I book a show. My very first show ever in Moscow was at the little coffee shop, Boosers. And so I book a show there. I tell everybody, I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to play this show. I play, you know, like come out and see it, whatever. And um, people showed up. You know, it's a small venue. It holds like 25 people, maybe 50 people, maybe 75 people. If you're really packing them in. I think we had 100 people there. <laughs> it was busy. And uh, that's kind of where it started. We played there. 
you know, and that's kind of when I wrote Moscow Drinking Team. And once I wrote Moscow Drinking Team, I couldn't play a show without having a lot of people there. And it was great. I mean, we were selling more beer in one night at this coffee shop than they sold the entire month. I mean, it was it was great. And that's kind of where it started. And then after 2019, I got a couple different job offers with my degree. I got a job offer to be a stockbroker. At the time, I, was, I had my real estate license. I was thinking about doing that. Um, and then I didn't like... I didn't really like any of them. I got a job offer to be a fly fishing guide. So I turned everything down in white collar. I took the fly fishing guiding job and I was a fly fishing guide while I was writing music and playing shows. That was kind of my, that was my first big risk that kind of led to everything going that way. Okay. So you, for I'm full disclosure, I'm looking at Spotify for the dates here. You, your first album life of a rolling stone. That's 2020. Followed yeah. up by if I if I were the devil twenty twenty one, so in the recording those two albums did that cover f- fly fishing and then you know writing and performing? No, I mean not until we did Devil because Devil was like our big break record and Life of Rolling Stone. I I mean I met the guy who's I mean he plays Steel for me now on the road. He's produced my first three records one of my best friends, I met him at a, uh, a Vandal bachelor party, a guy that I went to college with. He was friends with him from Boise. He actually went to Belmont and graduated with like an engineering degree. And I met him. And at the time I was just a guide and I show up and my buddy was like, Hey, you know, this is my other friend, Colby. He writes music and this guy produces songs and you guys should do a record. And I know, I mean, I've always been a dreamer. I've always, you know, like, you know, I've always chased the chase the dream, no matter what the risk. And I could just tell that, I mean, I'm talking to this guy and he's like, yeah, we'll do the record, but like, good luck with, you know, whatever you want to do. <laughs> and uh, once again, the guy's a great friend of mine and uh, we cut the record and, you know, Moscow drinking team on that record ends up doing, it ends up kind of being this little anthem. It starts like growing and it starts, I hear it now, you know, and at that point, like in 2020, at drops, COVID happens. I go to spring homecoming. I don't know if you guys remember spring homecoming or not during COVID. I was there. And I'm walking around, and I can hear Moscow drinking team playing. I'm like, shit, this is kind of catching on. This is not bad. And uh, that first year, you know, it wasn't anything um, crazy. But from going to zero to what we did, I was very happy. And that, you know, through COVID, which I was full-time guiding, I guided, uh, like, 70 plus dates in 2020 and I was on the river 120 days. I still wrote, you know, if I were the devil's a record and we cut it. And once if I were the devil came out, that changed our lives forever. That was, uh, that was kind of the pinnacle moment for sure. Okay. So if I, if I were the devil, that, that album's 2020 that's published in 2021. Correct. And, um, now, one thing I just got to address, just that I'm from the music I follow, I it's more of a thank you. I love the how quickly you've been publishing albums uh, one yeah. each year in the last <laughs> four years. Which only reason I bring that up is for like some of the like large, some for some very large groups like hand examples like the the Killers, which they're not country, but. Right they they release an album like once every three or four years or something like that it's not regular like that i i've actually been stoked over the last year on spotify i mean like oh shit there's another colby a cuff album out good good lord okay so 
you have two other albums post if i were the devil there's honky tonk heaven in 2022 and then most recently western white pines which that that hasn't western white pines hasn't been out very long correct june since june okay yeah just a couple months okay so you said hey if i were when you recorded if i were the devil that that song was kind of a turning or that song itself became kind of a turning point for you guys in terms of uh career the career kind of taken off so can you catch us up on the last couple years like we everyone knows you're trending up but uh what's that been like for from 20 you know post covid let's say the trend upward 2022 2023 yeah i mean so yeah you know we we do if i were the devil and it's I remember when we cut If I Were the Devil, like we get done with the entire record as far as like we're cutting it and we get done and we sit down on the couch and I'm like, all right, play it from start to finish, no stops. Like, let's just listen to it. And we listen to it. I believe, I think If I Were the Devil is 10 songs. I believe it is. And uh, <laughs> we get done and I'm ecstatic. I'm like, dude, this album's fucking sick. I love this record. This is going to be great. And I look at my buddy who had like ran a lot of like my advertising and marketing. And I look at him and I go, man, if this record can do a million streams in the first three years, we really made something. And that record did a million streams in the first month. And so that's when I really knew we had something. So then going forward, you know, that summer is crazy. We're starting to catch traction. We're starting to get national attention, start stuff. It's starting to move our way. And so I'm kind of thinking like, Oh, like maybe we'll get a, Maybe we'll get something, you know, maybe we'll get a call, no call. So it's once again, you have to realize that the music industry is a little different because. Can I pause real quick? Yeah. When you like pretend our listeners don't know what you mean when you say get a call, what does it mean to get a call? Oh, I was, I was kind of hoping that we get a call from Nashville or get a call from, you know, anywhere, you know, it's, I've always said this, it's like, being an independent, independent artist is an amazing deal. And it's been painted as of recently, like in the last two years, like everyone's super into independent artists as a like subculture. And people have like this huge following for independent artists. Well, let me tell you, no one wakes up in the morning and goes, man, I cannot wait to be an independent artist. Cause that is the toughest road you can go down. And it is tough. I did it for three years, completely independent. of people's independent artists have a record deal. And even if they don't have a record deal, they have a huge booking agency or they have, you know, they they definitely have a management company. They have help. The first three years we did it, I had, it was me. That was it. By the time I got a call from Nashville to come down there and actually, you know, do the thing, like what we're doing right now. I mean, I had done, you know, in numbers or whatever, but it's like I had done, 25 million streams career by the time I got a call just to go to Nashville. A lot of people get to go to Nashville because they, you know, sang at a open mic one time and there's a guy there that they liked him and they started from ground zero. So for, to let the Idaho boy to go took a lot. We had to make a lot more noise than a lot of other people, but we kept doing that, which brings me to the third record. <laughs> so we, there, if our, the devil comes out, it's, you know, we do, we have a good year. Um, and I, I realized it's uh, it's time for us to buckle down and get ready for another year because we're not going to get a phone call from anywhere else. And that's fine. 
So we wanted to go do it somewhere cool. So we ended up going to Sonic Ranch in Texas in El Paso, which was a really cool experience. And at that point, I had filled out the band. And the whole band uh, is Idaho born. And except for the steel player who went to Belmont, everybody went to University of Idaho. So everybody's a Vandal from all different times. And we're all big Vandals fans. Um, And even the guy who went to Belmont is a Vandals fan. So it's perfect. Um, But yeah, we went to Sonic Ranch. We cut it down in Texas. And I wanted to do a record. I didn't care at this point. It's like we already had to fire the devil. And that did great. But I wanted to do a record that showed more like live band sound. And it wasn't, you know, it was it was more for the band. So we had songs like the Honky Tonk record that I've always wanted to do. Little Brooks and Dunn, a little bit of that outlaw sound, a little bit of, you know, some even like just traditional country and Western stuff. That's kind of our third record. Um, and after our third record, we did get a phone call, uh, which brings me to like last July where I got to go down to Nashville and I got, um, I got to meet the great people at uh, Make Wake Artists, which is my management company. And uh, they're the same, I mean, this will tie in going into next year, but they're the same company who uh, first signed, like basically Make Wake Artists and Chris Cappy, who's the head manager there, is the guy who found Luke Combs. And Chris Cappy, when he found Luke, um, neither of them, you know, Chris really, Cappy really wasn't, uh, he was just starting as a manager and Luke was looking to get anywhere, you know, that he could get in. And they both built Make Wake and Luke and Cappy all as a brand. And I'm very happy to be there. I mean, they're, they know their shit. They're, <clears throat> they're the best down there. Uh, which then led me to thankfully getting a, a record deal with Sony Nashville and also getting a booking deal at a WME, which is my booking company. So, okay. So at this point you are in a, a uh, non-music industry person sense. You're, you're assigned musician now, correct? I am correct. Okay, sweet. And, and part of that, I know this just because from talking to you to get you on here, that involved moving, finally leaving Idaho for, for Nashville, correct? Right, which kind of brings us to the record Western White Pines. You know, yeah, which is a kick-ass record, guys. If you haven't listened to it, listen to it now. Well, listen to it you. like 10 And minutes. I feel like, you know, that, that record is one of those records, you know, I I never, I, kind of one of my sayings is it's really hard. I try not to ever attach myself to my music because I think it's, you want to be attached to it in the moment. Like when you write the song, you want to be, you want to be there for it. You want to support it. You want to nurture it. But then by the time when you record it, once you release it, it's not yours anymore. Like you release that to the public. It's now the public. Like they decide if it's good or not, no matter how much you like it, you can't lead a horse to water. Like you can't, you can't tell people to like the music. They just have to like it. And Western White Pines is a record that I was super, super attached to. And, uh, I'm very happy that it's gotten the response that it's gotten because I, you know, I was really hoping that was going to be a good one for us. And it has been, it's, it's been, uh, it's great. It's been so good that actually we're going to, you know, we're deluxing it September 15th. We're releasing the deluxe Western white pines. We're adding six tracks to the record as a whole. And we're also releasing vinyl. So the whole thing is going to basically as a whole project, it, it released in June, but really the whole thing releases September 15th, with the whole run out for Western white pines. 
Okay, I'm really glad you explained Deluxe because I was uh, that was going to be my follow-up question. So, do every I do have to ask though, because that, look, this is the thing that Elise was pretty big on uh, Vandal social media, Vandal Twitter, playing at the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah. Now I know at two levels. It's a historic kick-ass arena. The fact of doing it itself is a big deal, but also the fact that you get into a point that you're a person who's going to be booked for that is. Uh, a pretty damn big deal as well. So what, I mean, look, talk, you can, you can talk about what the Opry was like or like what it, how, what it has meant for you to, to have actually done the show and how that matters from here on whatever route you want to take, just make sure to talk about the Opry. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. It's crazy because I growing up, I'm, I mean, I'm a fifth generation Idaho born and raised. I mean, and and I'm a fourth generation from Coeur d'Alene. Getting from Coeur d'Alene to Grand Ole Opry, I mean, there's not much more distance you could put, honestly. And, you know, it, when you – for me, you know, people in the South too, Grand Ole Opry is a totally different ball game if you grew up in the South because every, every Saturday, every night you're watching the Grand Ole Opry on your TV and every day you have Grand Ole Opry on the radio and it's, it's a totally different beast down there. So for me, you know, to for them to allow me to get on the Grand Ole Opry stage as a guy from Idaho is such an honor, you know. Um, and the other thing about that I thought was so cool was it didn't mean the same. And this is just honest, you know. It did not mean the same to me as it did to somebody from Georgia or from Tennessee or, you know, from, from Nashville. But they, when I got there and the way that they treated me and the way that it was and the way it went down and just the buildup before, like when we got the offer, I mean, I had a better chance of playing on Mars than I did. I mean, that's my direct quote when I got the offer. It's like, I, I can't believe they're going to let me on. I thought I was going to, you know, I'd play on Mars before I play the Grand Opry. So it's truly a life-changing experience. And the Opry is amazing. They had, I mean, Jamie Johnson came in before I played and was, you know, hey man, just make it your own, do your own thing. Like you're doing the great thing here. He's a, he's a great guy. Um, they just run a really great operation down there. Okay, Dallas. I of course have more questions. You've been on the shelf for a little bit. You want you want to jump in? Yeah, I, I would love to. Um... Colby, so obviously you've just put out your major la major label debut. Uh, obviously the deluxe coming up. What for people that have no idea what it's like being a musician? What is the difference between putting out those first three albums, you know, independently by yourself, and then having the backing of Sony? What was that change like? Just in, I'm assuming it doesn't change the songwriting process much, but what does that change for you in your life and how you go about being a musician? Well, I mean, help is a big thing, you know. I think there was a there was a moment there when um, there was a guy, like I was saying, the guy who I was talking to when we cut "If I Were the Devil," that I was talking about. Oh man, if this thing just could do a million streams, career would be great. That guy and I, we kind of started this whole thing over, like you know, ten, fifteen beers at a bar in Coeur d'Alene, talking about like, oh well, I mean, I play music, and he's like, well, I do digital marketing, you know, maybe maybe I could do this, maybe we can make this work. It's kind of where the whole thing started, and um, I called him like six months before we got our record deal, 
And I, I said, man, if, if we don't get help soon, I'm just not gonna be able to do this anymore. It was just wearing me real ragged, real thin. And, uh, it just was really tough. And so that's a big thing, having help, having, um, just having the backing, you know, um, but the best part too, you know, I think a lot of the, the stipulation typically, especially with Nashville labels, you know, this is just the honest truth. Um, the typical thing is, you know, they're going to change you. They're going to get involved. They're going to make you who they want you to be. But that has not been the case at Sony. You know, even if we're the black sheep at Sony, which we definitely are. You know, we're definitely the black sheep at Sony Nashville. They understand, you know, the, the whole first encounter with them was, hey, you know, here's the deal. Like, um, we need to learn just as much about how you do things because like where you're going to be way different than our other acts and we need to learn with you on that so the very first thing was when we did western white pines i'm like we're not doing it. so typically they do demos where they'll pay for you to go and make the song as close to what you would hear as the final product and then you go okay well that's a good song so we'll do it but that's not how i do it so what we do is i record it on my phone and then we have, you know, just phone recordings of songs. Because I tell you what, if the song is not good listening to it on your phone, it's not a good song. If you don't like it with just a vocal and a guitar out of an iPhone speaker, the song is not good. So if you like that, then we're going to cut it. That's how we did it. So we had all of Western White Pines on my phone, which I, we started with 30 songs. We cut 16. That's pretty classic. Um, and they didn't like, I asked them like, Hey, listen, here's the deal. I'm gonna take my band from Idaho. We're going to this studio with the producer that I picked. We're going to record these songs and I don't want anyone there, but us. And they're like, okay. And that's what we did. They have not been, they've helped me when I needed help. And they haven't been intrusive when I don't want them there. They've been a pleasure to work with, you know, especially from someone who was fully independent to now fully backed. It would have been so much to, I would have, I mean, I, I would not have signed anything if I thought that anyone could change what we were doing. And they were completely, you know, great with not changing anything. That's why they signed me. So I feel good about that. I mean, obviously it's worked out. I got to lead. This leads right into the next question. How was it playing the ICCU arena? You just, you're going from bars in Coeur d'Alene to now big time shows at the ICCU arena. What was that like? Yeah. I mean, first arena show, it was great. It's always good to come back to Moscow. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I really, I want U of I to make that music. Um, festival or that music uh, situation it could it could use a little cleanup i'm not gonna lie it could be a little cleaner i think i i, I i'm very vocal about this um i don't think you should ever throw an event at university of idaho that the students have to pay for so it's, besides that though it was great but i i'm a, i'm a the next time i play at university of idaho whether I buy the tickets or the students can just get in for free, there will not be a single student that has to pay for it to see me unless I play at John's alley. But if I play something that university of Idaho puts on, 
there will not be a single student that has to pay for that. You heard it here, guys. I know there's people in the athletic department to listen to this. Figure this out. Get those students in there for free. Colby says we got to do it. So well, that we also sounds like an events. That would be more an events umbrella. And the only reason I bring that up is the events events grouping was who we were told if you were upset about the beer situation last year. That was not on the athletic department. That was on events or some other thing. I only bring that up to say if the beer situation at the Kibbe Dome is not ideal, guys, make some noise. I have one yeah, last question I mean, for you, Colby. Oh, of course, sorry. Whatever. No, jump right in. Go right ahead. No, I was just going to say once again, like, yeah, I mean, that's, I was just going to talk about this, the students coming for free, which I already talked about. So go ahead. Fair enough. So anybody can jump on colbyacuff.com, check out your tour dates. You've got a whole bunch booked through September, October, November. You've got a spring tour lined up. You've got shows in next summer already. You're playing at FedEx Field with Luke Combs. What are you most looking forward to out of all the things you've got booked over the next year? What's the one thing that you yourself cannot wait for? I got a few. I mean, obviously, I cannot express the amount of gratitude I have for Luke. He's bringing us on for 13 stadium shows next year from April to August. I mean, that is an insanity like i that would i couldn't believe that we got that and i never asked for a single show from him or you know he he just he picked us which was an unbelievable turn of events for us um, but that being said there's a couple other dates that we have that i cannot quite say because they haven't announced but they will be in idaho they will not be in moscow yet we haven't gotten that one solidified but it will be in Idaho. We're playing some stuff next year that I'm very, very excited for. A couple festivals and, of course, the Luke Combs Com dates. I mean, it's pretty pretty out of control. Been a crazy year. <laughs> so I, I have an editorial decision that we, I think we need to hit on, and this is in honor of the football coach you referenced earlier, Jason Eck. I think it's appropriate to throw a few dumb questions Colby's way. Beautiful. And – one of the dumb questions to me is not a dumb question. It is a question we could, I could easily talk for an hour on. Aside from Snake River Stampede Canadian whiskey, and aside from their 1915 small batch, which is kind of like they're the, the higher end of Snake River. So let's say you're not allowed to pick those two. Give me three to five, or you, you do more, but I'm just making it smaller. Three to five whiskeys that uh, you cannot live without. Oh, God. Well, I'm going to start off by saying, for the most part, I am basically like, I drink like trailer trash for the most part. I drink PBR, Miller Lite, and the cheapest tequila you can find, typically. But I have had my day of good whiskeys. So what I would say, if I actually, you always got to have, you always got to have a shitty bottle. For my shitty bottle, I will go with Jim Beam. Jim Beam white label. Yeah. Okay. For my my like it's it's a bottle that I love this bottle. It is most people don't like the bottle, especially because it's scotch. And most people can't stand it. It's the cheapest scotch you can buy. But I love black label Johnny Walkers. Give me give me that Johnny Walkers black label. I love it. Now we can move to the little higher stuff. Pause real quick. So you're at the mid shelf, right? 
Yeah. Now we're okay. at the mid. So uh, this, that's the honorary Rob Orich mid-shelf whiskey pick. He was on here and when we had Orich on here, defensive coordinator. Yeah, of course. He uh, specifically expressed his love for the mid-shelf. Yeah, I love it. I mean, personally, I'm a big mid-shelf guy, you know. But that being said, if we're going to go up a little bit more, uh, I am a big fan. I do love Woodford Reserve. I mean, I don't know if you put Woodford at mid-shelf or top shelf. It's kind of in between because if you're not getting the double oaked, your price is, you know, your price should be in Idaho uh, sub 40. If you're in Washington, it's $17,000 because of the syntax. <laughs> yeah. Like true. in Idaho, like Woodford Reserve, like their standard or like their wheat, that that's, a, that's like higher end mid shelf, but it's, yeah. you know, you're under 40. We still haven't gotten to the top though. Let's, hey, let's say $40 is the end of mid shelf. I agree with that. Yeah. So then that kind of puts us near like, then I would probably go um, maybe like Blanton's, but there's there is one bottle, and I'm really sorry I forget the name. It's um, it's like what is it? Um, Red Robin or Red um, Red Sparrow? Is it Red Sparrow? You t- is it a Irish whiskey? Yes, I think that's Red Breast. Red Breast, yes. That's the bottle. I did just buy a bottle of that not too long ago. I was down in Boise staying with my roommate from U of I. I want to give him a nice gift. So I went to that and we drank the entire bottle. It was great. <laughs> okay. And sources say Red Breast is the Irish whiskey we're talking about. Okay. So more whiskey talk because you're on here. I have a captive audience. I'm going to. If you are. If you're having a celebratory whiskey, like uh, you're celebrating the record deal, you're celebrating, you know, the, the, the Luke news, what are you, what, what are you going to pour? Well, here's the deal. Once again, I got to go back and just be honest. So for both of these things, we get the record deal and the labels like, okay, we're going to do a celebratory dinner at this really nice steakhouse. What do you want? I could order anything I want. And I ordered the one thing I knew that I couldn't order on the menu at this really nice steakhouse. And that was a six pack of Miller Lite. I knew they wouldn't have Miller Lite. So I ordered a six pack and I'm not shitting you. I walk in the back room. I'm in a t-shirt, jeans and boots. Everyone else is in a, you know, everyone's basically wearing a tie. I walk in and they have like a champagne cooler, like with the ice. And it's like the, like the long stem metal thing that you put a bottle in and they have six, Miller Lite sitting in the champagne cooler for me. That is my celebratory. It's like, uh, if it's, if you can get anything, but you can't order a cheap beer, that's what you want. And then I probably want, and then I want like a cheap shot of whiskey or a cheap shot of tequila. That's the celebration. That's what it is. I don't know. For me, that's what it is. Okay. I'm going to accept your point hundred percent. Let's pretend you live in a world where someone put a gun to your head and said you have to drink a you have to have a single drink of whiskey and it has to cost more than forty dollars and one cent for the bottle. What are you pouring? <sighs> I would probably get either that bottle of red breast. I really did like that one. Or I'd probably go. I might get a, a bottle of Blue Label. Okay. J- Johnny Walker Blue Label, for those who are mm-hmm. not sure. 
Okay, Dallas, feel free to jump in with dumb questions. I have a non-whiskey dumb question. It's not exactly a dumb question. It's just a different take. We already we talked about some of the best venues you played at. Shittiest venue you ever played at. And this could be like the venue itself or the experience. Yeah, that that is, and that's a great point. It's a great point because it it's not people are like, what's your favorite show? What's your favorite venue? It's not about that. It's about the people. I could go play my favorite venue of all time and sell three tickets and have a terrible time. You know, a venue that I've been looking forward to for a long time, or we sell it out and it's a bad, bad crowd, or you know, whatever it is. It's all about the experience, or like the people that work there. The staff could be shitty. You, know, you never know. You never know. But uh, some some of my favorite gigs, um, for sure. Um, it was our. Let me think here. We played the Broadberry 49 Winchester this year in Virginia. That was really really fun. It was like our very first kind of like bigger sold out club. I think it was like a 750 or a thousand cap room. Um, it was like our third show of the entire year on a national tour, and we walked out everyone knew our songs and in Richmond, Virginia coming from Idaho third show. I mean, that is, you couldn't ask for more of a high. Um, my other favorite shows we played uh, in Atlanta with Lainey Wilson this year. And I was really nervous about that as well because we hadn't really played that much in Atlanta. And I was worried because I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of our, our audience is male, honestly. And a lot of Lainey's is female. And I didn't really know how that was going to, that was going to go. Same thing turned out great. Um, but as far as like headlining shows of our own, um, I would say my favorite shows this year, there was a show we played another time we played in Richmond, we played this place called Camel. Um, we sold out and it was, it was never ending screaming. It was amazing. Um, and probably Portland was another one that we played. Um, but as far as shittiest, venues that we've played i mean i can't name the venues there's no way i'm gonna do that um but i i will say you know there's been some shows this year where it's uh it's like for like a festival or you know some kind of strung together thing that we show up for and they're they're not really prepared to have full production so it's a long time to set up because you're kind of fighting with the guy and then the crowd isn't that great. I can't really name venues and places because then they'll know. But it's not always easy, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> okay. I'm going to let listeners fill in on their own that though you did not state a venue, people can just assume it was Albertson Stadium. <laughs> kidding. Kidding. Well, I'll never play there. That. That's the other thing. I, I will say, hey, we played we played in Boise the week before we played uh, at in Moscow, and uh, I walked out on stage in, in my Vandal uh, in my football jersey, not the hockey jersey I'm wearing right now for the viewers that are concerned. Um, but I walk out in the Vandals jersey, and it was three days after Boise State moved in their freshmen. So a lot of the kids that were there, we were opening for Flatland Cavalry. There was a lot of BSU students there. And there's a ton of vandals there though as well. And so it was awesome. Like you can hear it. We recorded the show and you can hear it. It's like, you know, vandals and half the crowd is cheering and half the crowd is booing, but then you go straight into a chorus and then everyone sings along, man. It was pretty epic. It was, that was one of my favorite shows as well. Actually, I'm going to put that, that Boise knitting factory show on there. So I have a dumb question. It is kind of two pronged. 
what is your favorite album that you have created and then what is your favorite album that you had no no involvement with of all the music that's ever been written oh boy the second one's going to be difficult but the first one's not easy i would say my favorite experience recording a record it's it's either if i were the devil or it's western white pines but i think i'm going to say western white pines just cuz i'm so that whole record is just about it's like I had to go away to realize where I was from and what it's about. And like that whole record is just such a great personification of who I am, how I was raised, where I'm from, just everything for me hits right on the head. Uh, and the, and I, I lost 12 pounds recording that record. It was seven days, 16 songs. I ate one meal a day, maybe every day. Um, and I worked my ass off. We worked for 13, 14 hours every single day. And it was, it was one of, it was such like a, it was just such an experience. I mean, it was just such a crazy experience and it's hard because it's hard to, you know, I mean, I can't really explain recording a record to anybody, but it's, it was, it was quite the experience. Um, as far as records go and a record that's had a lot of influence on me. I'll tell you right now it's in between and it's just kind of all over the board but it's like either an elton john record elton john's first record or it's jim croce record or it's a Whalen record any of those three you know and one of my favorite records of all time i always say like redheaded stranger as far as like a willie like that willie record is just such a masterpiece it tells a story from beginning to end and it's fluent and none of the songs sound the same that's so impossible for me to imagine making a record like that but as far as records that have like huge influence on me as a writer and as a performer and as a you know everything i would say yeah i mean elton john's first record melodically is nails i don't know there's there's so many good records out there you know i have one more dumb question and then i'll kick it back to brian because we could keep you here for seven more hours but i don't know what your time frame is so i will kick it back after this hey, i mean i'm we're just hanging out. I might have to pour another drink, though. <laughs> See, there we go. As long as it's SRS, that's all that matters. Yeah, 100%. Kojak gives you a call after the Montana game. Little Brown Stein is ours once again. He gives you the first chance to drink out of it. What do you pour in the Little Brown Stein? Well, I mean, I got to get... I think if it's the Little Brown Stein, I got to go with my college classic. And that's, I got to go to the corner club and I got to get Keystone light out of the draft in the little Brownstein. That would be, I think that would feel the most for me. That would feel complete for me. I know I wasn't asked this question, but Dallas, because you asked it, it made me think of my answer. And when Colby said it was referencing calling back to undergrad, my, in my head, I was hoping, please stay, please say steel reserve. Please say steel <laughs> reserve, which would have been my go-to at uh, a certain, I mean, I drink, different I, era. I think I drink plenty of steel reserve, plenty of steel reserve in college. I had a run of getting steel reserve because Walmart sold it in 12 ounce cans. And it was, look, I know you have the economics degree, but essentially all of my college drinking was based off of economics. As in like, I was the moron who would keep a, who would wash a wine bottle to keep in the back of my car so that I could buy boxed wine and pour one <laughs> bottle at a time. Uh, Peter Vela Burgundy. 
uh, or yeah, Peter Vell Burgundy. Uh, I could, I did the math. It was a dollar 98 per bottle. And then I just wouldn't bring any money or any other drinks with me at parties so that I had to get them for free. And it, it just, <laughs> Dude, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Sure. I, okay. I well, that. Dallas, now you have to answer like, cause, because I took a spin. I mean, blue moon, honestly, it's blue moon for me. It's my favorite beer. I'm not a huge beer guy. Sorry, it's just I know that's weird for a vandal to not be a huge beer guy, but it's blue moon uh, for whatever reason. Uh, just the, the little hint of orange that you get in it without dropping an orange in it, it's always been my thing. I don't know why. See, now I feel like I have to answer this again because if I was going freshman year specifically, and this is just like the worst combination I can imagine because it was just what did we have and mix it, I would be filling the little brown stein with Idaho gold rum. And treetop apple juice. Cause that's all I like. It'd be Friday night. Like, what do I have? Like, I've got a shit ton of apple juice and I got rum. Okay. I mean, there was also a big stint there for me where I was, you know, I mean, a lot of the time I spent most of my money, I feel like in college on either a, like it was always PBR. Cause at the time, all I wanted to do, I drank my dad drank Miller Lite. I drank Miller Lite. I drank Miller Lite for a long time, but in college, I couldn't afford it. I'm talking about six bucks difference between a you know 24 rack and a 30 rack by the time, and that's a huge difference. So I would always drink PBR. And at Winco in Moscow, when I was there, uh, PBR was like $14.99 for 24 pack. That's what I wanted. That's what I always got. And then I would also, if I was really springing, I would get a little pint of RR for like $6. But if I was really, if I was really in the chips, I'd get a bottle of 10 high bourbon, which is like, if you have the bottom shelf, you like open up the floorboard and you like go down below. It's like the bottom, bottom shelf, pull out the 10 high. And I think you could buy a fifth of 10 high for $9.99. And that was, that'd be like my big victory drink in college. I said, that's the Idaho silver, Idaho gold prices. When I was an undergrad, Idaho gold was $15 for a half gallon. Yeah. And I just could never, I mean, I remember Idaho gold and Idaho silver floating around for sure. I just, man, that shit, that's turpentine, man. Correct. I don't feel paint off a car. <laughs> okay. Um, pretty quick. I'm going to have to call it a night because I've been rolling since about five o'clock today. But uh, last, not not exactly a, a dumb question, but um of your of venues you've done in the Northwest, do you have, and we know you're not going to shit on a venue. We're not asking that. Do you have any favorite Northwest venues that you've, you've got to go to multiple times? Yeah. I mean, man, I, I gotta say like, there are some that, um, we've, I, multiple times, maybe not, you know, but we play like in Tacoma, which is always fun. And I will say like anywhere in Moscow for me, John's Alley. I mean, unfortunately, like it's. I would love to play Boosters again, but it. it I got to play somewhere a little bit bigger. But Boosters, John's Alley, um, and even like the, the. I would love to play the Turf again. I would love. I would love a headlining show on the Turf, and I hope there are some vandal event people listening because I would love to have my own show on the turf 
I think it would be such a great night. And I, you know, I love playing in the ICCU arena as well, but there is something about August in Moscow. They just like the kids just get there. You're outside, you're on the turf. It's hot. It's like, I don't know. There's something to be said about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, playing in the Northwest, no matter the venue is always great for us. So with that, we're ready to call tonight. Just do have to let you know, Colby, we're, we used to, for a while, use some of your music as our intro, outro music. But uh, once we started getting copyright notices, uh, we, we did have to audible. But that's part of how, I mean, I don't know if you've been seen in the comment section. Uh, a ton of Tubbs listeners are also Colby Acuff listeners. So, uh, and I got to personally thank you too, because in the last couple years, um, I've actually, I, so when I was, you know, in my, when I was younger, you know, pre last couple of years, I never really listened to country. Um, I listened to hip hop and rock. And then that from that, that evolved into like blues rock. Um, and then, but recently once first I, I got into country the last couple of years, listening to your stuff, which then pushed me into, um, I don't know if you'd call it alternative country, but it's stuff like you know, guys like Ryan Bingham, uh, Shane, yeah, Shane Smith. Of and yeah. So I'm like real, like that's like what country is. You know, I, I feel like it's for me, there's a lot of country out there right now and it's very, very broad, but it's funny to me that the people who are like singing to me, what is like the most country stuff, it has to have a different name. Yeah. So please just call it country and then you can make up a name for the shit that's on the radio. Okay. So <laughs> in the last year and a half, I've started listening to a lot of country, not shit on the radio, uh, a good, a good amount of country. So Anyway, got to personally thank you because honestly, I would not have listened to a ton of artists I've discovered had I not first stumbled across your stuff. So, uh, Colby, thanks for coming on. Uh, it's been a kick-ass time having you. Uh, we will probably harass you at some point to try to get you back on at a different date. You're but, always uh, welcome at any point you want to come on. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. My off-season is Vandal football time. So, if you guys... Uh, I'm, I'm doing literally nothing through this whole winter. So if you guys want to have me on, just let me know. I would love to. I enjoyed it. We will find a way. Uh, you've got my number. So uh, if you ever want, I have a handful of whiskeys if you want to experiment at some point. But uh, thanks for coming on, dude. And as always, go Vandals. Go Vandals. And we got to fix the whole copyright thing. We got to get that figured out. We got to get you guys music. So I'll, I'll okay. work on that. I'll, I'll send a text to Nashville tonight. So I'm a, I'm 100% game for that. I'm also going to thank you for that interruption because we, of course, forgot to do the ad read for ourselves. Patreon.com backslash Tubbs at the club. Join the hashtag only Tubbs Discord. And look, the Tubbs Discord has always been super active. Dude, it it was explosive tonight during the game. It's the it's To me, it's not really close. It's easily the best online place to be, especially if you're watching a game. It Weirdly, it makes Vandal Twitter feel like not as big a deal because a ton of the most active people are just in the OnlyTubs Discord. It's fun as hell. Mm -hmm. um, essentially, everything that makes the internet suck is not present in our Discord. So uh, <laughs> patreon.com backslash Tubs of the Club. Uh, if you join at the highest level, eventually we send you a shirt from Walk On Apparel. Go Vandals. Go Vandals. Peace up. Go Vandals.